season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shrigland and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and mine baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mine Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have former Indiana Bulls pitcher, freshman at Northwestern Baseball. We got Drew Dixon on the JKR Podcast, the Indiana Baseball Series. Drew, super pumped to get you on the show, man. How are you doing today? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Of course, man. Again, thanks for coming on the show as well. I know you guys are busy. Apparently just found out today that you guys are still in classes, but um, yeah. so I'm sure you got to got to work around that busy schedule for you, but before we dig into baseball, before we dig into Northwestern, Indiana Bulls, you know, briefly dig into Zionsville as well, I got one question I'd like to start it off with everybody that gets on the podcast, and that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Drew Dixon? Um, That's a tough question, I think. Uh, you got to think about it a little bit, but I think I would introduce myself. Um, you know, I'm obviously, like you said, a freshman at Northwestern. I love to play golf in my free times and uh, I'm pretty focused, I think, on um, kind of like the business entrepreneurship side of things. I That's what I'm studying here. And uh, that's kind of where my the background that my dad came from. And so uh, that's always kind of been ingrained in my life. And I think that's outside of baseball. That's what you're going to get from me a lot is kind of the business side of things and uh, like to play a lot of golf. Okay. Okay. So with you being in Northwestern now, let's kind of go ahead, dig into the recruiting process, kind of find out, you know, how you got to Northwestern. Take us through that recruiting process. You know, when was it that Division One teams kind of started reaching out? Yeah. So um, it happened in the summer of my 16-year year. It was right after COVID. Um, I was playing for Coach Berryman's 16 Black team. That's where I met uh, Connor Mish for the first time. And uh, I wasn't I actually wasn't very good before I played for that team. I I made the 15 U black team as a hitter primarily, but I didn't hit very much. I just kind of pitched a little bit and uh, I, I wasn't great, to be honest. And I made the 16 black team as a PO, which is kind of frustrating because I still love to hit. And uh, and then COVID happened and everything shut down. And um, I was lucky enough to have have a place that. Uh, was unlocked for me and a couple other guys during COVID that we could just go to and work out every day and 
that was kind of the big turning moment in my career. Uh, my dad and I kind of sat down and had a conversation, you know, how are we going to attack this over the next six months? Like, I feel like this is a place that we could gain a step up on some guys because not everybody has access to to a facility to work out with and throw in and lift in. And uh, I just got a lot better during that time and came out throwing a little bit harder than I used to. I got up to 89, was mostly in the mid mid-high 80s. And after the first weekend, the first outing, I had a couple schools, a couple schools reach out to me, and that's kind of where the process got rolling. Okay, so as that process got rolling, kind of take us through what's going through your head at that point, because you're starting to realize, okay, you know, maybe playing Division One baseball, you know, might be a reality yeah. for me these next couple of years. Kind of take us through what's going through your mind, and then maybe as well what those initial conversations are looking like, just in terms of, you know, maybe some questions that they're asking you. Just kind of take us through those initial conversations of what you were thinking. Yeah, for sure. So it was kind of, a, a, like I said, it was a turning point in my career. I, it kind of shifted from, okay, like, let's go high achieve at a, a good academic school and you go to school. And then it kind of shifts like, okay, like, you know, I, I could really do this thing. Like I can make this dream a reality. Um, and so it was, it was really cool to start having those conversations. Everybody wanted to know, like, kind of where my head was at and that sort of thing. And so I, I, a couple of the first schools that reached out, like some local schools and, and some Ivy League schools. So I had that kind of good good flow going. And it kind of took a while to make the decision between, okay, do I want to go the high academic route? Do I want to go to the best baseball available route? And I think towards the end of my uh, my recruiting experience, that's kind of what I found in Northwestern. Okay, so as you were going through, kind of deciding between – Ivy League schools, maybe some other local schools as well. Yeah. You know, what were some of those key things that kind of were that decision making, those decision making factors for you um, just to de decide, you know, local school compared to an Ivy League school? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think that uh, it really, it really just came down to the academics. I kind of chose to put the academics first, but because um, I had the, the offers I had were kind of like, I don't know the right word is, but they're very polarizing, right? It was kind of like, but I had all the high ends of, of each side. Like it, it really came down to a decision. And actually Connor Mish and I, um, one of my good buddies, he, uh, we were getting recruited by almost the same exact schools at the same time. Like we would always have our calls scheduled right after another. And I remember we went on, a, we actually went on a couple visits together, just me and him. Um, like his parents take us up or my parents take us up. And we, no, actually at that time I forgot we weren't allowed to do real visits. It was like, we would walk around the schools and they would unlock stuff for us before, but we'd be on a zoom call with the coach the whole time. So they wouldn't actually be able to see us there. And it was, it was an interesting experience. That was probably the different, most different thing. Cause my older brother, uh, David Novak, he's at Miami, Ohio. He was a bulls guy too. His recruiting process was completely different. Uh, he was a futures games kid too. I was too. And, going to his futures games where there's a million people in the stands and you can't walk around without running into a coach. And then when I went to the futures games, there was not a single coach there. They were all watching on live stream. So it was a very different process, I think with COVID. And I think that that's one thing that sets my journey apart from a lot of other guys. Yeah. I know Con Connor mentioned you as well when he was going through that recruiting process, he said that you were actually one of the decision-making process, uh, decision-making factors for him going to Xavier, mm -hmm. something about like hanging out during a travel ball tournament. And you like, you're telling him that he looks like some sort of like Xavier kid, or it was, it was yeah. some story, some story like that. Um, yeah. But for you going on those official visits, talking to all these different schools, 
you know, when was it that it finally hit you? You know, okay, like I think Northwestern is going to be the place for me. Just kind of take us through that day and like when mm-hmm. exactly it kind of hit you. Yeah, so that was after a long summer of uh, of recruiting and 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 whatnot. And after features games, we had a a couple couple good opportunities come. And it was actually at one point Connor and I were both getting recruited by school, um, and we were talking the whole time. We had a couple phone calls back and forth, you know, send the transcripts over and whatever. And we were both and sitting together in, in my house, and we were like, dude, like, you know, I think I think if we get this, like, we should commit there together and, and go go be roommates and whatnot. And we were thinking about living the dream life. And then unfortunately that school, that school kind of just never got back to us ever again, which is a little weird. And then that's when Connor started to really sort of focus on Xavier. And I noticed him, like he says that I told him he looked like a Xavier guy. That's, that might be a little bit of, a little bit of hearsay, whatever, but he, uh, he talked about Xavier all the time and how much he loved the program. And, and I, I just thought it would be a great fit for him. And, he had a really good uh, relationship with their head coach, uh, Billy O'Connor. And I, I just thought that was a perfect fit for him. So with you, with you being, with you being an Indiana kid, you know, not too far away from Northwestern, I'm assuming that Zionsville drives maybe two and a half, three hours for you. You Mm -hmm. know, what were some of those relationships you had with some of your Northwestern teammates who are there now, maybe in your signing class, maybe guys who are a year, you know, a year ahead of you or so, what were some of those relationships you had actually before you got on campus there in Chicago? Uh, yeah, so well, I kind of realized I didn't answer your last question. I kind of z- got well, up. I, wrong. No, you're good. You're good. You can kind of uh, dig into it and all right, we'll, we'll uh, see what happens. So uh, with with Northwestern, it was it, they were they reached out as soon as uh, the what is it September first? I think is the the day in the fall when they can reach out to junior. So they reached out and honestly, when they reached out, it was kind of like all right, like I really want to go here I'd probably commit if they offered me because it kind of felt to me it was like Big Ten baseball as well as you know a pretty elite academic school as well so that kind of was the perfect perfect fit for me and I had a pretty good relationship with the pitching coach at the time and um, thanks to coach Berryman that was all able to happen and that that felt like I was in a good spot there Um, but I didn't I didn't know anybody going into their committing like I didn't know any of their players um and then I, I reached out to um, one of the players. His name is Grant Comstock. He's another Indiana guy. He was from uh, Valpo up north. And uh, I reached out to him one day when we were both working out at uh, PRP over with uh, Coach Vogt and uh, just ca- kind of got to know him a little bit. And then um, some of the guys, I think I was the third commit in our class. Um, and then we had another kid commit the day after I did. And uh we kind of had got a little group chat going with our freshman class and, and we got, we actually got pretty close. Um, we had a couple of guys commit later in the year that joined in, but that core group of four of us were, uh, were very close. And then we actually went, we came to Northwestern. They had us, didn't want us to play summer ball our senior year. So they had us up there taking summer classes and training at the field every day, um, living in the dorms all summer before, uh, before we got there for real in the fall. And I think that, that was super beneficial. I think that I would recommend a lot of younger guys to do that if possible. Just you get so well acclimated to the different, like the, all the classes, where everything is, what dorm room dorm room living is life, like. And then uh, as well as getting to know some of the guys that are still on campus too, which I think was huge for us. 
Yeah. So with you being one of those initial recruits, well, initial commits there in that 2022 class, did you uh, play any roles in some other guys recruiting? It uh, Did you play a role in anybody else's recruiting process in terms of, okay, man, like, you know, I think Northwestern might be a good spot for you, you know, come, come over here to Chicago. Let's go win some big 10 championships. Were you, uh, you know, maybe doing some recruiting there for Northwestern? Yes, I actually was. Um, there was a guy that committed, I think he was our sixth commit um, that, I had reached out to a couple of times, kind of getting him to come over because actually he was getting recruited by um, a couple of the same schools I was. I didn't know him at the time. He was from way out west. And uh, a couple of the other coaches I was talking to on the phone were telling me about him, how they wanted they wanted him and they wanted me. And I and I knew that he was down to us and a couple other schools and because our pitching coach that I committed to at the time told me. And so I reached out, man. I was like, look, there's anything I can help you with. Like, we'd love to have you here. You know, our coach at the time has said wonderful things about you. Like, I think you'd be a great addition to the program. And he reached out back was like, Oh yeah, thank you, man. And then a couple week, couple weeks later, he committed. So yeah. It worked. All right. So you, you talk about how, you know, that, that's, that's, damn it. So you talk about that summer after your senior year, you kind of head to Northwestern early. And I, I, I've heard that you know a lot of schools do do that, but kind of take us through those first couple of weeks on campus, what that was like. You say you were getting acclimated to just the beat that college life kind of take us through those first couple of weeks there at Northwestern and what those days yeah. were like. Yeah. So, um, well, actually it was a little bit of a weird time because uh, we had an interim head coach at the time and we were kind of waiting around to see if there was going to be a new guy or if he was going to stay on. And so, we really didn't know, you know, who to reach out to and, and what, what questions to ask um, there. So it was kind of better for us. I think we had to kind of figure it out on our own. Um, so we would, we would wake up, we had lifts at um, seven or six forty-five AM Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday there. Um, so we'd go lift and got an awesome, awesome uh, weight room that overlooks the lake right as sunrise is coming up. So that was, that was really cool. Um, every morning we'd go to class after we'd, we all took uh, one or two classes and they would all just kind of be in the morning after lift. And then we'd have the rest of the day to ourselves. We'd usually go over to the field and, and throw and most other guys hit. I was the only pitcher there uh, this past summer. So I would kind of throw with whoever wanted to throw or long toss into the net and throw some live ABs too, which was fun. And then I hit a little bit too, just cause I missed it from yeah, I'm sure. days of time. So I'm sure. So with with Northwestern, they're starting their school year a little bit later than most schools, like we talked about before we started recording. What does fall ball kind of look like for you guys? Are you guys starting, you know, mid-August like it happens for, you know, schools who are starting in August? Or, you know, what is that schedule looking like since Northwestern's actual, like, class semester schedule is a little bit different than other schools? Yeah, so we started about September 20th or 23rd, I think, is one of our first days back. And we had to go up a week early just for freshman orientation and stuff. But Summer or fall ball starts like a week after that. So we're almost starting in October. We're starting late September every year, which I think is a disadvantage for sure. Um, now we had our new coach got brought in right as we were leaving the summer session. So we left uh, at the end of July, right before August. So we kind of had six weeks to ourselves at home before we headed back up and then fall ball started. And we didn't have any, I know a lot of teams like you go out and play other teams in the fall we were full interest squad on ourselves and practicing every day. And we just kind of wanted to, I think our coach wanted to get a feel for where we were at skill wise, talent wise, because there's not many of us that he recruited besides a few of the portal guys that he brought in. So it, it, it was definitely a little bit of a disadvantage, I think, but 
it might have been exactly what I think we needed. Yeah. So what was that biggest difference you saw going from you guys are playing fall ball, actually going to classes, you guys have regular students on campus as well compared to that summertime when it was kind of just you, maybe some of those other freshmen coming in. What was like some of those biggest differences that you saw from those two areas? Yeah. Um, well, for one, it was like we were just doing individual workouts. It wasn't team practices. Um, and in the summer, like there weren't many kids on campus. It was mostly freshman athletes, like the football guys and some of the other sports that were all staying in the same dorm. And then the rest of it was mostly international students that were taking classes. Um, you know, a lot of the older guys would come back, you know, they came, I remember they came back 4th of July and uh, maybe a couple days in June, just in the middle of their summer ball endeavors and wherever they were across, across the States. And so it was cool getting to know those guys, but then being in the fall when you have the whole team there and everybody's hanging out and it, it, it was a lot more fun coming back in the fall because we knew Everywhere we were going, we knew, and uh, we knew a lot more guys too. So that that was probably more fun because it did get a little boring towards the end of the fall because it was just just us five. We kind of ran out of things to do. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, I think the fall was more enjoyable for sure. Okay, so as the fall gets rolling, you guys are facing each other on that day to day basis, playing that inter squad scrimmages. When did it kind of hit you like you're facing some of your teammates? You're like, man, like. You know, I'm facing some Division One talent right now. Like, what were some yeah. of those biggest surprises? Maybe that toughest transition to college baseball. Kind of take us through those first couple of weeks of fall ball. Yeah, um, I think the toughest transition to uh, to college baseball for me, at least, was just. I mean, that was a completely new coaching staff. Not one of those. Uh, I mean, I guess the hitting coach, the hitting coach, stayed on at the time, and and he didn't really know me super well. I mean, I think he knew why I was a recruit. I was recruited because I could spin the breaking ball like that was really why I mean I didn't throw super hard I was always kind of mid to upper eights touch the nine here and there um but I could really spin the breaking ball and they didn't really know that I don't think which I was okay with I would rather kind of go in and improve myself rather than you know talk all this game before I even threw a pitch there right so I, I kind of went in and I wanted to be uh not not a quiet freshman but I didn't want to I didn't want to be that freshman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I, we did have a few of those guys and I don't, I don't think that turned out very well for them. So uh, yeah, the toughest adjustment was definitely just new coaching staff who didn't know what was going on. It, there's, I think there was a lot of pressure at, at the beginning to perform because it kind of felt like it felt like really every day in the fall was a tryout. We were trying out for this new coach. He didn't really know much about us or, or what to do with us. So I think, that the first couple of weeks, it was a tough adjustment. We It was mostly kind of live babies instead of a, a full team scrimmage environment, um, which I think was better for me, at least. Because um, once we got into the um, the scrimmage part, it was I kind of felt like my feet were wet. I knew what I was doing. And I, I think I put together a pretty good fall for the most part. Okay, okay so... Again, with Northwestern's kind of funky schedule, I know you said you guys are ending, like, is it beginning of December, end of November when it comes to your actually, like, end of the end of quarter one? What does that look like when it comes to the end of fall ball? I know for the most part when I'm talking to, like, when I was talking to some of the guys at IU, talking to Connor, I know their fall ball is kind of ending right as Thanksgiving's coming about. What does that look like for you yep. guys once fall ball ending? And then how do you guys transition right back into, you know, that preseason when you're heading back to that second semester? Yeah, so we um we finish up fall ball right before um Thanksgiving break. Um now we've been we at that point we'd been inside a little bit because it does get pretty cold in Chicago. 
Um, so we ended right before Thanksgiving break. We go on Thanksgiving, come back, and then it's reading week and then finals week. So our all our classes are done before Thanksgiving. We come back. We have a week to study and put on like I'll do all our like final essays and that sort of stuff, and then we have finals week after that. Um, and then we go back home, and it's like December sixth or something. We're back home. We get the whole month of December at home, and then January second, it's right back to school, right back to preseason and and throwing live and and all that stuff. Okay, so what's the, what's those first couple of weeks leading up before that first game there in February looking like? How are you guys prepping? Is it mainly the same schedule as fall ball? Just kind of take us through that as well. Yeah, it, it was pretty similar to fall ball. I I think we had a week or two of um of indies, which are just kind of like your coach and like two or three of you, um, like your position coach would be like the pitching coach and two or three of us. And we'd do our throwing and we'd throw bullpens. And I think we had a week or two of that. But once that was over, man, it was two practices a week, three scrimmages a week, just trying to get ready, do an indoor, indoor scrimmages. We have about an infield and then a little bit into like the left field. I feel it's like a, kind of almost like a football field, uh, indoor facility for that. We share with the softball team. So it was kind of just doing live ABs and scrimmages for months on months. It felt like until yeah. that February uh, 17th rolled around. I'm sure. So February 17th, that's what I was bringing up next. Texas State, game one of your yeah. college career. I actually, I'm looking at your stats right now. It looks like you actually got into that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of think of what, what, I mean, what was that experience like making your collegiate debut um, and just maybe just some of those experiences that, that had to happen that first weekend? Oh man, it was it was nuts. Uh, Texas State was definitely an interesting place to uh, to open up my college career, man. Those fans, I I thought they were awesome. You know, man, they know everything about you. Like really, they really do. And um, I remember our third baseman uh, Vince. He was hearing some crazy things yelled at him from third base side over there because that's their home dugout. You know, nobody else hearing it except him. And uh, the bullpen was especially especially loud, man. They're standing right on you. We got guys behind the catcher, behind you, off to the side, just saying everything about you. And of course, they've got they've got everything about you. They've got your Instagram, they've got your family names, they got your sister's name, they got your girlfriend's name. It was it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Um, it it was awesome getting in that first game. You know, I was really hoping, I was I was working towards competing for trying to get a starting job on that weekend. So it was a little bit of disappointment, but at the same time, getting into that Friday game was awesome. Uh, it's great to get my feet wet. It, it went okay. We we made a couple errors in the field uh, behind me, but picked up the first career strikeout and and got the guy in that came in before me got him out of a jam. So there's some good and some bad. Yeah, you talk you talk about Texas State just what the fans are talking. I I mean people down south, man. I mean they're they're crazy about their baseball. I've been to a couple. SEC games and I've I think I was sit, I think it was Arkansas I was sitting in like the student section because I got a buddy down there yeah and they were yelling at the other team's left fielder just some of the stuff I can't say on the podcast I'm no like, you, you really like, can't man, it, like, it, man I, was like, I would hate to be that left fielder right now um yeah that that we saw that we saw that everywhere because we opened up Texas State and then uh a week later we were at Louisiana Tech which was bad too um but Texas State, I think, was the worst one because it was opening weekend, Friday night, and everybody was there. I mean, it was packed to the brim. Everybody's drinking, you know, and yelling at us. And then Louisiana Tech was a little bit different because their students would sit in the outfield. Um, and then all the, like, kind of 
uh, fans that were a little bit older that were kind of just there coming back, watching games every year, they would sit behind home plate. So you really wouldn't hear anything until you were in the outfield or it got really quiet. And then you'd hear some crazy things come in from right field. <laughs> it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. So, so after that, after that opening weekend there at Texas state, kind of take us through the re the rest of your freshman year, maybe some of the biggest lessons that you learned, some of the, you know, best experiences that you had for this past, you know, three or four months or so take us through the rest of your yeah. freshman year after opening weekend. All right. So um, Texas state came in on the Friday game and it was good. We had a couple of errors, got a couple strikeouts and, and got out of there, but that was a rough weekend. They, they stuck it to us. Um, hitting wise they, they hit us pretty hard and uh the next weekend um after that weekend we lost our uh pitching and hitting coach they both stepped away from the team so we were down to a head coach and a volley and uh which i'm i'm very thankful for those guys sticking around and helping us through that time because that was that was tough we went to uh went out to uh, north carolina south carolina we played a three-game series with uh upstate and uh gardner webb and presbyterian um and we, we played we played better baseball that weekend for sure i got in the uh the upstate game i think i threw three innings i didn't throw a pitch out of the uh stretch but i i gave up uh two runs there just on two solo shots to the same guy um which sucked but that 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 was a pretty good outing i think other than other than those two pitches um and then as the season kind of went on the, our roles started to get kind of more, more um, solidified, I guess. And I was kind of uh, one of the first couple relievers out of the pen Friday, or if the game was kind of too far out of hand, I would kind of get pushed back a couple of days. Um, and so I think we got to, we got down halfway and then Butler, I think um, that was a very cool outing for me just because my dad played there. Um, and I was also playing against Hatch too. And, had a couple of the high school guys from uh, Zionsville showing up to watch out, and that 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 was cool. Um, I had that was probably my best, definitely my best outing of the year. I think it was like four innings shut out with a couple a good amount of strikeouts too. So that was kind of the best moment I think of uh, of the season for me. I think, and then after that we got into conference play, and um, I got my first start over spring break against. Uh, against UT Arlington we were playing them at, at Houston and that, that didn't go too well um gave up five on earned we had a lot of errors couple walks and then one one swing of the bat and the day was done but uh yeah and after that we got into Big Ten play which I started to see my role diminish a little bit and which which I think I struggled with a little bit mentally like not getting those innings um which which stunk but I think I maybe let it eat me up a little bit too much because then I, I kind of threw away some opportunities in the midweeks that I could have earned back some innings I think and uh struggled with command a lot of which which was tough but you know it's something everybody goes through and that wasn't something that I'd gone through before so it was unfortunate timing I think to go through that um in the middle of your first college season with coaches that haven't recruited you but um I was I was thankful that the coaching staff kind of held their faith in me a little bit and, and knew that you know, this wasn't going to last forever. It was just, you know, a couple of weeks trying to work back through it. And eventually it did and got in for some good innings against Rutgers. And, uh, and um, I think that was it. Oh, and Michigan got in against Michigan as well. But that was kind of the rest of our Big Ten season. It was a rough season um, overall. First freshman, I think we we're losing 
We're going to lose quite a bit of guys, upwards of 20, I think. So, so you, you talked pretty- about – go ahead, sorry. I said it's going to be a pretty new team next year. Yeah. So you talk about how it was pretty tough on you mentally just to kind of, you know, actually see some struggles there for the first time. Because yeah. I'm sure while you're up there in, in Zionsville, I mean, you guys are, you know, pretty dominant school, pretty dominant yeah. school there playing for the Bulls too. Um, Just, you know, how did you kind of get through those roadblocks? What were some things that you were telling yourself? Just, you know, what was that mentality trying to get through some of those uh, just, just tough breaks that you really weren't used to facing? Yeah. Um, You know, one thing that I think sucked at the time, but I'm, I'm a little bit grateful for now is that, um, and I think my my coach knew what he was doing. I I was a little pissed at him at the time, but uh, we we didn't I didn't really get we didn't really get much much feedback or, or or much help in between those outings. I think which which stunk a little bit, but um, he knew what he was doing right. He was letting me kind of you know trial through fire and figure it out myself, which I think is going to be a lot more valuable. Kind of figuring out you know what was going on, why why I was missing different places across the zone and and what it was, but once I kind of got locked in mentally and realized like, look, okay, at this point, like I've got nothing to lose. So all we're going to do is go out there and, and try to do our best and, and shove pretty much and take advantage of every opportunity we get and not try to worry about what everybody else is doing and what their opportunities were and how, how my job had been diminished. Right. So once you kind of sit that, okay, let's focus on one pitch at a time get the pitch signed from the catcher and then execute the shit out of it. Right. That's, that was the job. And I think that's what kind of salvaged the season at the end. So sticking on the, sticking on the topic of mindset for you, I know when you were playing up there, high school ball, playing for the bulls, you're mainly a starter going Mm -hmm. to a reliever this year there at Northwestern also having a couple starts mixed in there as well. What's that mindset difference going from reliever to starter reliever? Is there a mindset change when you are, you know, that starter compared to coming out of the bullpen? Yeah, you know, that is something I worried about going into the season a little bit. And uh, I was kind of like, man, you know, I've never really came <laughs> like I've never came out of the pen in a, in a game before. It's been a while. Um, but I think I, I kind of embraced the role a little bit. Um, I've always been a super, super, super competitive guy. And uh, winning is winning means a lot to me. And so it's kind of like once I kind of sat down and I talked to a couple of the older guys who were super, super super, super great to me. And and they kind of got my head locked in and, and how to become a reliever. And once you kind of realize that, okay, it's the same game as a starter, right? You just don't have to throw as many pitches, right? You don't have as many innings you got to throw and it's the same game. You're, it's you versus the hitter. And that's all that matters. I think that that helped a lot in me kind of like acclimating well to the relief role. As I'm looking through your guys' schedule, I'm looking through, I'm seeing Notre Dame, ACC school there, some Big Ten play, also playing, you mentioned Texas State, UT Arlington, some other mid-major schools mixed in there as well. For you kind of seeing it, what do you see a difference when it comes to facing mid-major schools compared to fa- facing Power 5 programs like, you know, Notre Dame, Rutgers, Michigan? Was there a difference there for you at all, you know, actually being on the field at that moment in time? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, obviously there's some really, really good mid-major teams. Like Texas State was phenomenal. Louisiana Tech was was really good too. Um, but a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to the depth. I think like uh, the pitching in the Big Ten when we're facing teams on a three-game series and we're facing Notre Dame on a midweek game, like the depth of the pitching staff, I think, is kind of what sets those two teams apart. Um, you know, anybody can beat anybody in a one game series that that's honestly like everybody complains about that, but that's my favorite thing about 
Indiana high school baseball was the one game, one game playoffs and it's on it's winter go home. Um, so that's, that's, I think the biggest difference was like the depth of the pitching, you know, Sunday guys uh, in the big 10 might be a little different than in the, some of the mid major conferences. All right. So look, so looking back into your entire, your freshman year and your freshman year entirety, what would be some of those biggest lessons that you learned? Uh, maybe some of the surprises that kind of hit you as well. I know we've talked about it in the past, but uh, just kind of take us through just looking back at your freshman year entirety, what those couple biggest lessons and just what that would be like. Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest lessons I learned, I think for sure was, you know, it's a, it's a different ball game, high school to uh, to college, like the coaches, you know, like they're there to put food on the table for their family. Like this is their lifestyle. This is their job. They're not always going to be there just for you right they've got 35 other guys they've got to put a winning roster on the field and I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned you know not everybody is looking out for you all the time right the world doesn't revolve around you and I think a lot of us us freshman guys kind of realized that early which was good I think we didn't really have any like issues with that I guess but um kind of coming to that conclusion was tough um I think that um in another way though it is the same game right like that's another one of the lessons I learned like yes these hitters are much more talented but the more you give them credit for being talented right like the less success you're going to have it's you've got to treat it as the same game you've got to come in there and and attack with the same confidence that you would have attacked high school hitters with like it's you know it's the same game right so now, so now going through one year of it and kind of being you next year, you'll be one of those older guys on the Northwestern team. Looking it. back at um, some of the younger guys, because obviously if we look back at your Zionsville roster, I've heard a lot of great things about you from Nash, Simon, Chase, even right. uh, Ryan Castetter, um, who's an, a, a yeah. recent Northwestern commit. Um, what would be that advice for some of those guys and some of these other guys listening right now? Um, just in terms of going through your freshman fall, going through your freshman spring, what's just that advice for some of these guys? Yeah, I would say, man, take it all in because it it does it does go by fast the fall and the winter. Um, and I think that there's a lot to learn from the older guys, right? Like you don't want to go in and, and kind of tell everybody how good you are. That's that's probably the biggest thing I would say, um, because when you have these older guys on, on the squad having your back, it's it's really important and it's really helpful and it'll help you playing a lot better right so I think instead instead of going in there and telling them how good you are and all your high school accolades because nobody really cares about that right everybody at that program had those same high school accolades nobody cares just going in there and showing them how good you are is going to bode you so much better yeah and I, so I think that would probably be the biggest thing I would say you know to those guys back in Zionsville and and everybody else listening is like it's a it's a clean slate when you get to college. Everything's new. You have to go out there and prove yourself and earn every single inning you want to get. Yeah. So when it comes to that spring schedule, I know you guys are traveling every week to, you know, some sort of Big Ten opponent. You guys are having midweeks as well. Take us through what that average travel schedule is looking like throughout the spring on a weekly basis. Let's say you guys have, you know, some sort of midweek game, have a couple days off. When you guys heading out for that weekend series, just kind of take us through that yeah. average travel, travel schedule. Yeah, so it does depend a little bit on um, how far the school is you're playing. Uh, early in the season, I don't. I think we flew everywhere just because we were playing teams from pretty far away, and so it'd kind of be a leave. You would leave Thursday morning, usually pretty early. Um, we'd fly, we'd get in to whatever school we were going to, and then we'd have practice that Thursday night, um, and then we'd have 
game Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you usually fly home or drive home right after the Sunday game's over with. And then uh, Monday is usually – I think it's you're spo- they're supposed to give one off day to um, to every school. Like every school is supposed to have an off day, one day per week, I think. But um, a lot of schools will do – like we did uh, – there's an optional lift on that Monday. So usually guys will just kind of go in there on their own, get whatever they need to get in. They'll get a lift in. They'll go see the trainer for treatment and kind of patch up whatever went wrong the last weekend and then kind of get some thrown in on their own usually. Um, and then Tuesday, it'd be right back to a midweek game. Uh, usually you drive to those, obviously, because you can't really fly yeah. um, with with school because you, you have to go to a certain amount of classes, like um, especially in Northwestern. They're really hard on us, like making sure everybody's going to class and, uh, and not missing too much sports for that. Like there was a couple – one midweek, it was a home midweek. Um, I remember we were playing uh, Northern Illinois. And I had a, I had a class from um, from six to nine, and I had to actually leave the game and join my class. But luckily, it was on Zoom, and so I left for like the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings to join my class, and then it ended early. So I went back in the dugout. It was that was a crazy experience, but. Yeah. Yeah, so you're you're playing a midweek every Tuesday, practice Wednesday, leave Thursday, or if it's a home series, then practice Thursday, and then games on the weekend. It's it's really busy, and I think I I knew it was going to be busy, but I didn't know it was going to be that busy. I mean, like you're really not home much. I'm sure, especially and, early in the season for the northern schools, right? Because you're never playing home games. Yeah, and I'm sure, and even on top of that busy schedule, you guys are having pitcher meetings mixed in there as well. Maybe getting some of those scouting reports on those weekend teams. What are those meetings kind of looking like? Like, how are you guys getting presented some of that information? Let's say you guys are facing, you know, Indiana, for example. Let's say you guys are facing them on a weekend. Yeah. So how how is that information presented? Uh, when does it go like hitter by hitter? Just kind of take us through what those pitcher meetings kind of look like. Yeah, um, it, it was a little different for us than I think most teams would have been. Um, just because for a while during the season, we didn't really have a pitching coach. And then after that, we brought in an interim had an interim pitching coach who was who was great, but he was just here to help out. He was the guy who pitched in the pros for a while that our head coach knew. Um, and so the, the scouting reports that he had were great, right? But it was kind of more of a, we were still trying to work on ourselves a little bit, right? We were trying to make sure that our staff was doing the best that we could do with our own stuff first. And then he would kind of call pitches based on their scouting reports, right? So it wasn't we didn't really have a ton of a ton of meetings going over there. We would have kind of like at the end of practice every day, we would go over like, okay, what's their overall team approach? You know, are they looking for the ball away to try to drive the opposite field and they just want to get extended on everything? And, you know, we really need to bust them in. Um, like a team like Nebraska, they killed us with that. Um, they just were trying to get extended on everything away, away, away. And they wouldn't, they didn't really like this inside fastball. So we, we figured that out much too late, but, uh, but we figured it out eventually. And uh, a lot of times we'll go over the runners too. The runners, I think is one of the things we went over before every game, right. was like, okay, who are their runners? Where are they at in the lineup? What pitches they like to go on? What's their approach on the base pass? Are they looking to, you know, are they doing the fault lead or are they, you know, getting a big lead and just straight stealing and trying to read you. And uh, so that's kind of what most of our scattering reports were looking like Um, just because our, pitching coach had only known us for a couple of weeks. Like he didn't really know exactly what our arsenals were and what 
their what their weaknesses were gonna how we were gonna pitch to them. So it was kind of a little bit discombobulated, but I think that might be a little different than what the other schools were doing. Yeah, I'm sure. And that was gonna be my next question, just in terms of like how different it was, you know, not having a pitching coach there for a little bit, having that interim guy. But you talked about earlier about that story of you're in the dugout there for those first couple innings, have to hop on a Zoom for a class, and then the Zoom men's go back to go back to the game. Beyond that, what are some of those other stories, maybe some of those other memories that just come to mind when you're thinking of your freshman year there in Northwestern? Because, I mean, although you guys are trying to win games, I mean, you guys are still having fun. Just, you know, what are some of those favorite memories, favorite stories that come to mind of your freshman year? Yeah, um, it, it's unfortunate memory, but our first win at uh, at Butler – um it had been a long couple weeks before that where we hadn't gotten any and uh our we got our first win and we got back on the bus and we were all like looking around we're like, like finally finally you know thank god and uh and i remember seeing so much stuff on like twitter and instagram like everybody we knew back at northwestern was like going crazy and it was kind of like we were all laughing about it but it was kind of like oh man like it feels so good to finally get get the first one under the belt. Um, what's another one? Oh, uh, the Illinois series we played at home, which is a pretty huge rivalry series for us. Um, and we had a walk-off winner on Friday, which was awesome. And then uh, my roommate actually just popped in here. He hit a uh, a three-run dong on Sunday in the bottom of the eighth for to get the series win. And that, w- that was awesome. I think that that kind of really – turned our season around in a way mentally like it, it kind of helped install back some of the belief that maybe some of the guys had lost throughout the season just because it'd been so tough with all the coaching changes and not winning too many games so that that was awesome I think that that series win kind of got everybody back playing hard and and really believing in this team that we could win and it was it was great that we played a rivalry game because everybody was trying a little harder you know we wanted to beat those guys bad so sure uh so yeah, that was probably the other good memory. And then the okay. last memory, man, was Wrigley, playing at Wrigley Field. That was oh, I the, forgot about that. That that was the coolest. I mean, I've never done anything. That that might be the peak of my college career is playing at Wrigley Field. Yeah. I mean, did they do that? Did they do that every year? No, second game ever played at Wrigley Field. Um, we played Michigan there in like 2013, maybe 2015, somewhere around then. Um, we played them then, and then we played them this year and that was so cool i mean notre dame the last time we played them they absolutely whooped us 12 nothing in their place and then we kind of remembered that a little bit um and i know our coach was telling us he kept telling us about it. he's like these guys beat shit out of you last you better come ready to play don't embarrass wrigley field and uh and we didn't we, we came out and we, we played played really well we won it i think it was a 12 inning game on a walk-off and uh one of our guys ended up going, he went like five or six, I think, with a two-run bomb to tie it in the eighth. And then we wanted an extras. And that, that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, like being out on that field, even like shagging BP on that field. Like I was a freshman, I was always on bucket and I've never been more happy to do bucket in a game than yeah. at Rick Field. It was the coolest experience. We got a locker room tour and everything and got to see all their facilities. And it, it, was, it was so cool, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Being from India, are you uh you a Cubs fan or are you maybe somebody else? 
Reds fan. Grew up a Reds fan. Going to Reds. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, at least at least not a White Sox fan. And I mean, that might not have been special if you're a White Sox fan, but yeah, yeah um, I mean, it's so cool. I know the history behind the stadium, and just even getting to step foot on it is so awesome. Yeah, getting the playoffs. I'm sure going going to any game there is awesome, and especially yeah. you know, I I can't imagine what that walk up the steps was as you're walking up those steps of the dugout and just you know going seeing the Ivy, seeing the big yep. scoreboard. Uh, but you know now that your freshman year has come to an end, I know you said you have a couple days left of school, heading up to you know play summer ball here in a couple days. But you know what are those expectations leading into this upcoming fall, your sophomore year? You know you said you got a lot of new team, new players that are expected to be on this Northwestern team. Just what are some of those expectations, and maybe you know what you're expecting, and maybe how you're expecting to maybe step up as a leader, being one of those actually returning guys. Yeah, um, that's actually one of the things I talked about with. Uh with our, our coach and our exit meetings is kind of taking more of a, a leadership role to team. Cause you know, we might lose some guys and, and lose some of our, uh, our captains and that, that stinks, but it, somebody's got to do it right. And I think that my expectations are, are very high for this next year. Um, at least for myself. Um, you know, I did sign on with tread, uh, like I told you earlier for, for this next 12 months. And I, I couldn't be more excited about it, man. I, I really believe, you know, that that's really going to take me to where I need to go and, you know, hopefully put on, you know, two or three mile an hour and kind of get get my arsenal locked in to be, you know, some really elite stuff. And I I think I do really think that's possible. And and I think that I could take a pretty big leadership role with this team next year. And that's all I'm hoping to do, man. Yeah. And no, I mean, go, signing on with Tread, I mean, that's really exciting. I mean, I've heard so many great things about Tread. Like I said, before we started recording, I got a couple buddies down there in North Carolina this summer. But for you, how did you kind of get connected with them? Did you just kind of reach out to one of their salesmen? You know, what was that whole decision making process on signing with Tread? Yeah, um, it was it was kind of a, a realization for me because I kind of came into the school kind of thinking that, OK, you know, like this is a was D1 program, right? Like I'm whatever they say I'm going to do. Right. And, and just kind of relying on that to be um, the development that I needed, but kind of looking around and, and seeing some of the other guys and older guys that some of our draft guys that are probably like just seeing them work. I was like, okay, like this is not enough. Like got, there's gotta be something more. And I wanted to wait till the end of the season, just so I could, you know, start fresh and make sure that I'm on the right, right path for myself. And, Tread was definitely one of my some of my favorite Twitter accounts to watch. All their pitch design bullpens, man. I'm a nerd about that stuff. Like, I I loved watching that, and so I I that's something I just wanted to be a part of, man. And I reached out to uh to them through their website and and got on a call quickly and and got rolling as soon as I could, man. It's been yeah, awesome so far. So when's your official? So you've already started. Yeah, I'm about a, a week and a half, almost two weeks in now. Okay, so what what do those average tread workouts look like? You know, what are some main those main emphasis? Like, what are those workouts looking like? Yeah, well, it, what the best part about it is it's it's all based on you know what I need as a pitcher, right? So one of the biggest things I'm working on is kind of getting more mobility through here and being able to kind of lay back more. Um, just kind of comparing some of the best video versus worst video of uh, of the year. And so a lot of it's, you know, a lot of chest strength and, and upper body strength that we hadn't really done a lot before um, in our own school lifts. It's more leg focused, as you would think most pitchers lifts would be right. But um, that's kind of the beauty of it being so personalized is all the mobility, all the correctives, um, just kind of really targeting one 
specific movement at a time. And then once we can kind of conquer that, we keep a couple couple movements in place just to make sure we're maintaining that. Uh, but then we move on to the next thing, right? So I, I, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So no, another pretty important thing that you're doing this year, going out to summer ball, I believe you said you're going down to at, flying out to Alaska. Yes. Can take us through, you know, how you got connected with that summer league and what some of those expectations are for uh, heading out to Alaska this summer. Yeah. So um, I actually don't even, I mean, I don't know how I got connected. I just kind of showed up to practice one day in the fall. This was like really early in the fall before we had even started, uh, you know, doing live ABs or scrimmages. I walk up, my pitching coach, he looks at me, he goes, well, do you like to fish? And I was like, yeah, I like to fish a little bit. And he's like, good, because you're going to be doing a lot of that this summer. I was like, okay. He's like, you're going to Alaska. I was like, oh, Alaska. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and I I know I, I was a little disappointed at first just because I was like, oh, man, like, Alaska really that's so far away like what's the baseball going to be like out there um, my brother David is going to the Cape and so I really wanted to go out and play in a league in the northeast so I could be closer to him and watch some of his Cape games and uh, but as the season went on and as it got closer to it man like I'm getting so excited for it I think it's going to be awesome um, I'm living with one of my teammates and uh, I'm so excited to go out there and just not have any worry in the world other than the pitch and fish, man. I'm so yeah, excited. I'm sure. Um, so as we were talking about the roster there before we started recording, I know you said it's you, obviously your Northwestern teammate who's going to be out there in Alaska as well. But for the most part, it's all Western Coast guys. For that, you know, are you expecting maybe of a culture shock going and meeting guys from more of the West Coast, maybe some guys out in Cali, Oregon, those type of states compared to here in the Midwest? Uh, I don't think so. Just because Northwestern recruits, we got a ton of guys from California on our squad. So I think that I actually know um, some of my teammates know so a lot, some of my Alaska teammates as well, just because maybe they transferred in from a program out in LA or they just grew up there. And so I don't think it'll be too big of a culture shock, but it, it is interesting that you point that out. It might be a little different. Yeah, I didn't even think true. about that. Yeah, some, sometimes when I'm talking to, you know, like the USA Prime players or Arkansas, like some of those travel ball teams that have yeah. players from across the country, I always make sure to bring that up because, I mean, it, it is pretty weird when you're going and talking to, let's say, us like guys from, from Indiana, talking to a guy from Alabama for yeah. the first time or out in Cali. It's just, you know, yeah. I've always kind of experienced sure. that a little bit when I'm talking to somebody not from, you know, the Midwest. But let's go ahead, dig into the Indiana Bulls here a little bit. Great program here in the Midwest. Kind of take us through, you know, briefly through that Indiana Bulls experience, what that was like, and just some of those relationships you were able to build through that program. Yeah, so um, I think I started playing for the Bulls when I was 14. Um, five five of us, because we played um, in Zinesel. I think they still got it going on. We played Zinesel Baseball Club growing up, right? So it was only guys from our high school that would play up until we were 13, I think, and we all grew pretty close in that. And then five of us went over and played for a, uh, a Bulls gray team. They, they only had Bulls white and Bulls black, but they added a gray team. Um, five of us played for that team for, for a season. And it was really fun. We were, we were actually pretty good uh, for a gray team. We, we definitely gave the black team a run for their money that year. Um, and that, that, that was a lot of fun. And then after that season, I joined the, uh, the 15 black team, um, yeah, there was a couple coaching changes after the teams were, were made. And then I ended up playing for coach French there. Um, I'm not sure is coach French still with the bulls or. I, I believe so. Cause I mean, I've seen his name throw around quite a bit these past, you know, the past summer or so. Yeah. Fr Frenchie was great. Uh, played for him. Um, 
And then after that, I made the 16U black team with Coach Bergerman as a PO. Um, wanted to keep hitting. He gave me a couple at-bats because he, he was a nice guy. And him and I were, <laughs> were pretty close. I, I love Coach Bergerman, man. I have nothing but outstanding things to say about him. I mean, he really did change my life as a as a player in the Bulls organization and, and recruiting and helped me get anywhere I needed to go. And I, I owe a lot to him. So I'm I'm very thankful for him. He he made that summer ball season fun as well too. We had a lot of fun. That's where I that's where I met Connor Mish. Uh the, the that that started and I'm very thankful for that. But man, he's one of a kind. Yeah. So um, looking back so go go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. What were we saying? Okay. So go so so looking back on those two couple of years playing for the Bulls Black, playing for Bulls Gray there for a couple of years as well. Just what are some of those favorite travel baseball memories that come to mind when you're thinking of maybe traveling down to Atlanta, Hoover? I mean, I know when you guys are going on those trips, I mean, there's some fun stuff going on on the field memories, off the field memories. Just what are some of those things that come to mind about travel? Yeah. Um, so I actually have, I'm curious if Connor brought, did you ask Connor this question? I did. I can't remember. I can't remember what he said, but I did ask All him. Right. Uh, so my number one memory would definitely be, um, us, me, Connor and Hatch, um, Connor's mom had his car there. Um, and she let us drive around. I think this was our 17 new year. Um, yeah, it was 17 because Hatch was with us and, uh, we drove down, we were staying in, in Atlanta, somewhere in Atlanta. And we drove down to this place called Ackworth, Georgia. And, uh, there was this little small town and, we spent almost our whole weekend there. We went to this place called Henry's Louisiana Grill, and we were doing like barstool food reviews on it. And man, that that was probably the best, the best memory. And we we loved it there, man. It, I don't even know. It was just something special about it. Like we would just be going on drives through the city, listening to some Drake, and uh, it, it that 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 memory will be forever in my head. Like we didn't really even do anything like crazy. We did go fishing a couple times there at the lake and uh some we had some funny things happen but it was just like it was awesome man like it was we we're almost more happy to just be there with the with the rest of the guys and we were maybe playing baseball man i'm sure <laughs> at that point we were all we were already committed and it was just it was just a lot of fun man we, we had a lot of fun that year that's probably my number one memory um I'm trying to think of some other ones i mean every time we would have a Grand Park tournament. Connor would stay with us, stay at my house, and Hatch lives down the street from me. So uh, we just all come over and hang out, swim. I'm sure – I think you mentioned the hot tub and sit yeah. in the hot tub. Yeah, of course he did. He, he, he <laughs> loves that. But, yeah, that, um, I'm very thankful for that because that relationship that I was able to create with Connor, I think that that will last us a lifetime, man. And we talk almost every day about – you know, starting businesses and, and all these ideas in baseball. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So you talk about starting businesses. I believe Connor's major's business as well. I think that's what you said as well as yep. entrepreneurship business for you. If baseball doesn't work out, hopefully that's not, you know, 12, yeah, 15 years, right. hopefully 12, 15 years down the road. But, you know, what are some of those career aspirations? I know Northwestern's a very good business school. Just what is that, you know, beyond the game of baseball, some of those career aspirations? Yeah, so I like you said, hoping that pro ball works out for me. Um, if it doesn't, you know that is one of the reasons why I did choose Northwestern. Have pretty good backup plan. If it doesn't doesn't go well, I think I'd like to go into uh, 
to uh, private equity, which is more on like the investment side of businesses and stuff like that. Um, but I think the dream would be to start a, start a business with Connor and and then have some success with that. I think that would be that would be awesome. Okay, what are some of those? I mean, this is on air, so if you if you don't want to bring, yeah, it forward, I don't know. If I can what, what, what are you guys thinking of any uh business plans you guys thinking of so far? Uh, yeah, right now, right now, it's just uh, we've got one in the works right now. Um, can't say too much about it. Um, it's more uh, it's more social media design. Uh, that's 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 what I'll say. But um, we we I mean we've got plenty of ideas. Every time we get an idea, we send it into our chat, save it, and so. We've got ideas out to go lower, but okay. What, how many of them are good? We'll 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 figure out, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the makings of a good businessman. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, all the all the good business people have failed businesses that end up becoming yeah. successful businesses. Yeah. But, um, let's go ahead briefly dig into your Zionsville experience. I know you're a Northwestern now college kid. You don't want to talk about high school too much, no. but take I, I, through Zionsville experience a little bit, just what that was like. Yeah, man, dude, I I loved. Zionsville, oh, man, I'm so grateful for for that experience and that run we made my senior year was was awesome. Um, it started uh, my junior year is really kind of where the story starts after kind of COVID was over because we didn't have that sophomore season. Um, my brother was the captain and and Nate Dome. I don't know if you remember him. He's at Mississippi State now. They're closer. They were our captains. Um, we had a, we had a really good regular season and we had lots of hype going into we were the preseason number one team and and I think most of us learned a lot that season like man like none of that really matters right like it really none of the regular season mattered at all because at the end of the day we lost in the first round now that sectional is impossible it is super super tough but but it I, I would I would play in that sectional for the rest of my life if I could man the feeling of winning that sectional is like no other. And uh, I, I'm so thankful that we did that because we, we learned a lot from that junior year. A lot of, We had a lot of the same guys, but like you said, we brought on Nash and Simon and Chase Wagner and Easton Moore, Max Bond, all those guys. We brought them up for that season. And it got off to a rough start. We really couldn't, um, couldn't score very much. Um, we, we, we pitched it pretty well. We had a good staff with Hatch and I starting games and then Chase and Simon and, and Nash and Elliot Roselle, another guy, he's at Western Kentucky. Now we had, we had a really good staff. We just couldn't really figure it out offensively. And it, I could tell like guys were, were getting frustrated um, with each other just because we weren't getting it done. We had Brody Chrisman. I don't know if you know him. He's at Purdue now. No, I, I, uh, I knew Dome. I, I, I don't remember Chrisman. Yeah. Chris Chrisman was in my class. He was a, uh, he's at Purdue now. Um, he was on our Bulls 17U team as well. Um, him and I were were the captains of that team. He had the offense, I had the the pitching staff and whatnot. And um, it got to about the halfway mark of the season, and I uh, I walked into my coach coach uh, coach Moore's office, and him and I had been gotten pretty close over the years. And uh, I think <coughs> I, I think he valued and respected my opinion as, about as much as I did too. So respected his. Um, and so I went in. And I was like, look, coach. We're not getting it done offensively, and I don't think that a lot of these guys are uh, like I don't think they're they're wanting to take it, hitting advice from a pitcher, even though I did hit my whole entire career. Um, and so I walked in, I said, "Look, coach, uh, I'm I'm tired of losing one to nothing ball games with one unearned run. Uh, that's it's not that's no fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna start hitting again." And he kind of laughed at me. And he was like, "Ah, all right." And I looked at him. I was like, 
coach, I'm serious. I'm going to go take some swings in the cage right now before we, we played McCutcheon that day on a double header. And he was like, all right, all right, whatever. And so I started hitting and I kind of just didn't really take no for an answer. I just kind of let him, let him say whatever. And all the other guys kind of saw that and kind of took that to think, oh, you know, like he's not just, he's not just telling us stuff anymore. Right. Like he's doing this, he's going to show it, show us how to do it. And, and I got in the game, I think that was on Saturday. I got in the game on Tuesday. I got to start against, uh, against Mount Vernon. And I, this is crazy. I went like three for four that day um, after not hit for, for a year. And ever uh, it was, it was a crazy feeling. And then I kept hitting, kept, I hit pretty well. I think I ended up with like 340 or something. Now it wasn't anything like I wasn't, didn't have any of the big, you know, monstrous hits. I just, I did it right, but it, it kind of caught on with the rest of the guys. And I think that that was kind of the midway point in our season where it was like, okay, we started to really heat up. I think we won 14 straight after that or something. Um, so it wasn't my hitting that did that. Obviously not like it really <laughs> was. I hit okay. I didn't hit great, but everybody else kind of started to catch on and we started to get some mojo going and, and uh, we took some series. We swept Westfield, which that that's probably our biggest rival in high school. Proud to say that we got them every single time throughout my high school career. We swept them my junior year. We swept them my senior year and then we beat them again in the, uh, in the tournament that year and then going into the tournament man we were we were excited we really had nothing to lose we were not picked by anybody to win that uh that uh sectional which it's almost impossible to predict who's gonna win that sectional every year um we got it we had a tight tight game against noblesville i actually didn't throw very well um i i gave up a three-run bomb i think to a freshman on a 3-0 count and i was like you know, I, I just got to tip the cap right there. Like, I did not think you were you were going to have a freshman swinging on a 3-0 count with two runners on. And then we had a two-hour rain delay. I was already at, like, 75 pitches. And uh, we were down one, I think. Uh, I was talking to Coach Moore during the rain delay. I was like, Coach, like, you understand, like, you're not taking the ball out of my hands, right? And he's like, yeah, I figured you were going to say that. So I went out there and I threw I threw two or three more innings. So I got to the, uh, to the sixth. I believe, or or maybe five and two thirds. I was having um a lot of problems with like blisters on my fingers at the time. Uh, I would get these huge blisters, and I I couldn't throw. I had to take. I think I missed one start, uh, for that, and I had to, you know, deal with that, which was a whole other catastrophe. But got out, and then Nash Wagner hits a nuke to tie that game in this in the bottom of the sixth. Everybody's going crazy. We're tied three to three in the, in the seventh and extras, and then we squeaked one across um on a crispin double i think and uh we got we got we got it done in extras chase wagner came in and had a big bases loaded two strikeouts to keep him off the board and that that was awesome and that kind of was like everybody was like all right we're not first round exits again and we got it rolling we went to westfield played a great game against westfield um and then fishers man that was that was an unbelievable game um I started out the game, hit the first guy, walked the second guy, pass ball, second and third, nobody out, start the game. I'm like, oh, shit. I, I had a 103-degree fever the night before. I was feeling like, shit, man. It was absolutely brutal. And uh, and then I got a strikeout and a pop-out, I think. I got two outs on. I don't remember exactly. And and then I got a – I threw a pass ball. I'm like, Max, I – 
screwed him over back there. Hustles after it, goes, gets it, throws it at, throws it back to me. I tag him out at home uh, to get the third out. And I actually have probably the coolest picture I've ever, someone's ever taken of me right after that moment. It was like, I was like, let's go. And then used all the fishers, everybody fishers was like this. <laughs> that was cool. Oh man, I could talk about that game for forever. We we won. Chrisman had two bombs. I I had the first RBI that game, and I went I went six and a third. I think shut out. I went out for the seventh, but I got blisters again. Man, it's unfortunate. Caleb came in, and Caleb Everson is at Wabash now playing. He came in, slammed the door, and we moved on. Man, that was unbelievable feeling winning that sectional because I don't think anybody thought we were going to. And, uh, <laughs> We got we got a little standing ovation from the crowd as I walked back to the dugout. That was so cool, man. That 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 was probably the the best moment of our high school career, man. That sectional, sure. And like you said, I mean, winning that sectional there is you know pretty impossible. Obviously, HSE, you guys, I think Noblesville, Westfield, Fishers. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, every car, yeah, Carmel. I mean, every team that has two to three guys at least heading to that Division One level. Obviously, you guys have a little bit more with. You know, Nash, Simon, Chase, you. So the list goes on and on. But kind of go ahead and explain what that Central Indiana baseball competition is looking like throughout the spring on that day-to-day basis. You know, obviously facing those guys in that sectional, also facing teams like Mount Vernon, maybe traveling down to face Senate Grove potentially. You know, just what's that Central Indiana baseball competition looking like? Oh, it's it's unreal. And I I think that it's – uh, from outside states looking in, you probably wouldn't think much of it, right? But um, it, it really is really good competition. I feel like a lot of the teams are pretty evenly spread out, right? So, like, maybe the teams that don't have as much hitting talent have one crazy pitcher that could beat anybody in, in any game. Um, and so I think I, I love the competition. I mean, we – as Zinesel, we played – we played the hardest schedule, I think, every year um, except for – my junior year, I think we were second or third because we didn't we didn't play ourselves, right? So uh, <laughs> it, it was it was tough. Um, like we we played Center Grove, Mount Vernon. We would play Cathedral, and then obviously our conference was Westfield, HSE, Fishers, Carmel, Avon, or not Carmel, Avon, and Brownsburg. So we we played everybody. I feel like we went down to Jasper and played Connor Foley at Jasper. He threw against us. Um, we went to Lake Central and played Nish and Santana and and uh, those guys up there. So we played everybody, and I, it's awesome. I, I love the competition there. Center Grove was really good, too. I yeah. wish we would have played them in the state finals, but both of us came up short, unfortunately. So you talk about going down to Jasper facing Foley, going up to Lake Central facing Matt Santana, Connor Mish. This can be yeah. a two-parter question here for you. Out yep. of everyone you faced there in your high school career in Indiana, who is that toughest AB that you had to face, toughest hitter? And mm-hmm. if you have to choose two to three guys, I know it's tough to choose one. You can go ahead and choose a couple of guys. Yeah. And also looking back at your freshman year here at Northwestern, who's been that toughest AB there for your freshman year? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, think about this. Uh, Mish, Mish is definitely – I've, I've faced him, I think, three or four times. I've gotten him out once. Um, but he he knows me. He I, I don't want to talk about that. But uh, Mitch is probably the toughest A.B., I think. Um, I'm trying to think about who else that really got to me in high school around there. Um, I mean, I, 
I've heard, I've heard, Fo- I've heard Ho- Foley was a better hitter than he was a pitcher in high school. I, I didn't pitch against them, so I wouldn't know. He pitched against us, and obviously, and he pitched against us this past year at Indiana, um, or I guess at Northwestern when we played Indiana. Man, he has an electric arm, dude. He was throwing fuzzballs against us, and we could not touch him. So he, he looked outstanding against us. Um, but I, I didn't I didn't face him. I didn't pitch that game. I know I think our uh, I think Nash pitched that game for us. Um, but I'm trying to think who else. Keaton Mayhan's another name that he was on my summer team that had a really good swing. Um, I guess this is more summer ball. Uh, Tucker Biven uh, down at Louisville now. He was so tough to get out, man. Um, he hit balls hard. Cam Decker's another guy. I think he might have he might have been my toughest guy to get out. Um, I I threw I actually threw really well against them, uh, the Canes Midwest teams every time when we would play them. That was that was a crazy matchup between us and that. There's a lot of rivalry blood there, but uh, Cam Decker I think we never played them in high school, but he was a really really tough guy to get out. Um, he was really good at staying back and driving the the uh, um outside breaking ball the other way. So those are probably the guys: Bivin, um, Mish, Decker. Mahan had a good swing off me too. Um, and there's a couple guys I just never faced, right? Like I never faced Cerny or any of those center grove guys that I know can just absolutely rake. Um and some of the other guys too. I, I'm struggling to think of names right now, but yeah. Oh, uh, I guess um he's a he would have been a, he was a senior when I was a junior. Nick Mitchell was a guy that I struggled to get out to from Carmel. I think he's at uh um Western Illinois now, I think. Okay. okay. And then what about for uh what about your for your freshman year this year? Um Ryan Lasco. Ryan Lasco was a tough out. Um the Rutgers team really was. Uh I think Brito Brito killed one off of me. He had a double. I'm trying to think. I guess technically it should be the nine hole hitter for USC Upstate. That had the only two hits I gave up, and they were both. <laughs> so maybe it should be him. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, it, I didn't. I don't think I pitched enough, like times through the order to have a, um, a toughest guy to face. But there were some. There were some tough at bats, man. Um, uh, Mitch Voigt and Tito Flores from Michigan. They they put together some really good abs off me. Um, but yeah, I think I think probably. Lasco or Brito from Rutgers would be my answer there, I think. Okay. So I got I got one final question when it comes to your whole high school experience. And we've talked we've kind of talked about it off and on throughout the podcast. I mean, obviously Nash Wagner, Chase Wagner, Simon Wilkinson, Riley Agwin, he's might have been a guy when you were there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Those type of guys. For you being that leader there, your junior and senior year. You know, how did you kind of lead those guys, maybe take them underneath your wing with them, you know, also being division one commits at the time, you know, how did you maybe take them underneath your wing and kind of step up as a leader? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good question. I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with, uh, Riley. Um, he, he came up with us at the end of the year, but, uh, most of the guys I spent time with was, um, Nash and Chase and Simon and Gervin and, uh, um, Easton and uh Easton and Max. So I, I think Nash was obviously a little different because he was committed at the time, he committed super young. And you know, it's it's hard not to fall into the trap when you commit that young to such a big school of 
you know, everybody telling you, you know, how good you are. And, and it's, it's hard to keep working and, and stay with it when you're in that position. And I understood that just because I'd seen other guys do that, right. That I'd been playing some role with for three or four years. I've seen that happen, that decline. And so I, I was really hard on Nash because I'd known him for so long, his dad and my dad are family friends. And, and I knew that, I knew that he he could take it and I knew that he needed him. And that was what was going to be best for him is, is making sure I'm getting on him and, and keeping him motivated um, versus a guy like Simon who really didn't need to be motivated, man. He wanted it so bad and, and he had great stuff. And so with Simon, it was more of a like, all right, how can I, what, what can I teach him? Right. Like, how can I help him like prepare him for this? Like, I remember um, he called me about a week and a half ago, um, right before that sectional gave, um, he gave me a call and was like, dude, like, man, like, how, how do you stay ready for these two sectional games? Like, what, how, what did you do to prepare for this? And so I just try to offer him anything I could, man. But S Simon's the guy that didn't need much and, and, uh, or Simon's the guy that needed more like help and like pitching, talking mechanics and talking grips and talking how to spin the ball and what to do in each count. Um, so that, that's just how Nash and Simon were different, right? Like Nash had had been there and had all the talent in the world, right? Like crazy, crazy arm speed, crazy pop. So him, I just needed to get on, make sure he wasn't, wasn't doing anything too crazy, right? Like he, he loved the drip. He was the, he was the only guy in the field with a pink arm sleeve on and <laughs> he would wear the cross eye black. And I would just, I, I'd give him shit as a friend about all that stuff and did tell him all that, but no, Nat, Nash was great. And, and I think that he's going to do some special things. And I think Simon and, and Chase both both will too, and yeah, that, that it was a great experience then, and I'm I'm grateful that I got the chance to uh, to kind of help those guys help those guys get better. Yeah, I'm sure. So one last baseball segment here for you. Kind of want to dig onto your actual on the field play. First off, when you're up there on that mound, kind of take us through that pitching repertoire. Maybe some pitches that you've developed here recently. Some pitches that you know, yeah. maybe you're working on here this off season. What does that pitching repertoire look like? Yeah, so um, when I was in high school, I threw I, – I really only threw two seams. I didn't throw much of a four seam. Um, it just felt like it was flatter. It didn't have as much movement, and it was a little bit slower than my two seam. Um, and then I have slider and curveball, um, which is kind of where I made my money, um, spinning those guys around, you know, 3,000, 3,100 plus spin rates. And that's kind of how I caught the attention of most guys. And then once I – kind of back that up with a little bit of velo behind it. That's kind of where the recruiting started to take off. Um, and so my, my slider, I'm thinking more like not necessarily a big loopy sweeper, but I want a tight sweeper like that has a pretty good horizontal with a lot of like almost Frisbee action. I think, I think that's one way you would describe it when, it, when it's on and when I'm feeling good with it is it's a, it's a Frisbee. Um, and I've got, I used to throw it as a 12, six, but um, I kind of realized at, over time, like, my arm slots over here, a 12-6, I have to throw it from here. So it didn't really make a lot of sense with my arsenal. And I got away with it at the the lower levels, I think. But if there was any pitch that got hit, it was the 12-6 curveball. Um, so once I got to school, uh, my pitching coach kind of helped me just rip a more, instead of having my slider here and my curveball here, it was more like my curveball was a little bit here. I just got a little bit more tilt on it, which I think helped it a lot because I was throwing it from the same arm slot. So it's a lot harder to see, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and then I got, I had a change up uh, back then that I would throw a lot, just to kind of attack lefties with it. 
Um, but it was, it was kind of looping. It wasn't very good. It was never consistent. I was switching grips with it a lot. It was kind of the weakest pitch for sure in my repertoire. Um, and so over the, over the course of the season, I was still throwing the change up just because I had a lot of confidence in it, but I started developing a splitter um, just because I do understand that I am such a uh, supinator that I, I really do struggle to pronate. The more I work on my change up and making my change up better, the worse my breaking balls become because it kind of messes with wrist positions and all that. So I am definitely a supinator and I can throw a splitter. Um, I'm throwing the gosmer grip. I don't think I have. I wish I did. I always do. Uh, oh, well. Uh, but I'm throwing the splitter with the gosman grip. So I got the seams here, there. I actually have this. This is a stress ball, not a baseball, but it'll it'll serve purposes. So I'm throwing this splitter right here with my thumb tucked there on these seams. Um, and I've, I've been working on it a lot and I, I'm excited for it, but it's, it's not, it's not really there yet. I don't, I don't have hundred percent command over it. Um, but it's performed well when in the zone for, uh, for some live babies I've been throwing recently. And then I've got, um, my breaking balls. I'm going up the seam here and I throw this. So it's like almost a splitter grip. Um, and I'm throwing this hand is kind of off and it's squishy because it's stressful but <laughs> I'm, I'm really gripping it like this like a splitter and then i'm just ripping through this way is slider and then this way is curveball like it's the same exact grip and i'm just trying to spin it as as, as hard as i can yeah. um then two seam obviously is not super complicated um and then i've, I've been working on a cutter lately um i think that that's it's going to be a, a big pitch for the repertoire. Actually, I saw it from a couple other guys who threw some good cutters against us, a uh, big 10 play this year that were also supinators that had, you know, big time sweep on sliders, excuse me, and through hard. And I think that once I can, you know, get, get out of like the kind of like the 88 to 91, 92 range and start getting up into sitting in the, in the low nines and maybe touching a, uh, a mid nine. And I think that pitch is going to be super, super helpful. It's going to kind of bridge the gap between, uh, you know, a power fastball and a, and a sweeping slider. So I think that pitch is going to be good. I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with it on the grip right now. I'm kind of still trying everything out, but um, I, I think it'll, I think it'll work well. Yeah. So when you are adding new pitches or even developing pitches that need developed, how do you kind of go about that? Cause I know some pitches are a little bit differently when they do do yeah. that. Uh, kind of take us through how you're developing or even adding pitches. Yeah, um, I, I'm flat ground first guy, so I, I got to get it in flat ground. I got to make sure I can see the movement profile that I want. Um, I want out of the pitch, and I think that's kind of where it all started this year. Is honestly like almost messing around, really, and like kind of you know flat ground. Oh, well, what does this pitch do, right? Um, and I think that's kind of how where I found the splitter might be an option. Also looking at um, tread video and, and seeing how they pitch design splitters and kind of diving in research on like what guys develop these splitters, like what arsenals are best for supinators, which I do. I am a heavy supinator. Um, and a lot of the data that tread has online and on, on Twitter really, really helped me kind of think, okay, like this would be a really good arsenal for me to have. Um, and I'm really hoping that the cutter works out, but I'm I'm working on it in catch play and in flat ground. And once I feel like I can get a pretty consistent movement shape down, 
um, on the flat ground, I'll take it to the mound and, and, and start playing with it and get on the track, man, and the rep soto and, and try to just refine the pitch, I guess is the right word. Okay. So when it comes to the mechanics, kind of take us through when you're up there on that mound, you're from the windup, you're from the stretch, what are those mechanics looking like and how maybe they've evolved here these past couple of years as you've maybe grown into your body a little bit more, you know, maybe going to that next level there at D1 for um, going to that next level as well. How is those mechanics, what are those, what are those mechanics looking like and how they kind of evolved? Yeah. Um, they've definitely, they've definitely evolved. Uh, they kind of evolved as soon as I started getting recruiting. That was, I mean, honestly, that was what added the most mile an hour to me. I think I went from like in, like 82 84 guy up to 89 um from that 15 to 16 new year and uh it, it was really like working on rotation and being an efficient mover with my hips um because a lot of times like i would drag my back knee forward when i would come down the mound and i wouldn't really block well so the, the first adjustment i made was kind of making sure my feet are staying connected to the ground and rotating efficiently um but now at this point, I'm working on getting more uh, like retraction in the scap when I'm coming through it on this lay back. Um, so that's kind of the biggest focuses I'm working on right now. Um, but it's kind of hard to explain the mechanics, I guess, without yeah. having a video. All right, so let's go ahead and dig into arm care here a little bit. I know arm care is super important when you're getting ready for a long season that's going from February, going through summer ball as well. Kind of take us through what your arm care situation is looking like. Maybe do let deload there in the fall, ramping back up there in the spring, and then even there in season as well, what that arm care is looking like going from one outing to the next, what those days in yeah. between are looking like. What's your arm care situation? Yeah. Um, so this actually has changed recently with tread. Um, before tread, I was never really a guy that was huge on all the plyo care stuff. I, I felt like it kind of tightened up my elbow a little bit, but um, after working with Coach Bo for a while, I kind of realized it was just I was I in squishy balls. I like to squeeze them, I guess, when I'm throwing them. And so I made the adjustment over to uh, the weighted baseballs with like the seams and everything. And I think that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, arm care, like pre-throwing, I'm I'm really just getting getting some, you know, green ball reverse throws and kind of a drop catch series around J bands, obviously. Um, I like to grab. Uh, well, it's called an Indian club or I don't know if you've heard of those. Um, it's like a weighted, almost like a bowling pin kind of thing. And just like kind of go through some like figure eights when working on my arm path and, and that sort of stuff. And hip rotation is good for that too. Um, let's see. Uh, and then post throwing, it's kind of, I like to do a circuit of rebounders, band pull aparts, and then um, like kettlebell waiter walks sort of thing. Um, and that's kind of like the arm care drills that you would see um, kind of in like a program and whatnot. But honestly, I, I don't think I did a very good job of, of that sort of stuff before I signed on with Tread. Yeah. Um, I, I really never, I didn't really see all the value in it. Um, I, I do have another interesting fact. I have a really messed up, um, messed up immune system. So I don't recover well and I've had, mono multiple times and and i kind of have been struggling with that for a while now and so like for a while it was always just like okay you just threw you just started what can i do to get better for the six days from now so i can start again and it, and a lot of it was just trying to recover um trying trying to get recovered for the next 
next time, which was doing almost like as little as possible, like in season. Um, off season obviously was different. That's when, you know, we're really hitting plyo care ball throws. We're trying to build that velo and and in the on ramp and deload process as well. But in season, I did a pretty bad job of arm care before um, coming into this, and now that I've kind of matured a little bit, I think I, I understand the reasons why these guys are using it and why it's effective and why it works, which I think is super helpful. Yeah. So digging into your development here a little bit, kind of take us through just the biggest development you've had this past year going to, you know, having a new coaching staff there at Northwestern to now what's that going to be that biggest emphasis you have as you start this tread program, as you go through the summer, go through fall ball for your, your sophomore season, just, you know, kind of take us through that development in the past and here for the near future. Yeah. So, um, like I said, the biggest development I made to start getting recruited was uh, like really focusing on my hip rotation and speeding that up. Cause I was always a, a slow twitch guy, but I was, I was pretty strong, but couldn't twitch very fast. And so I worked on that a lot and that kind of got me up to recruitable velo is what I like to call it. Kind of like that high 80 range. And um, I think the biggest development I made this past season was honestly mentally and just getting mentally tougher and, and understanding the game better because I don't really think I made too many adjustments um, in terms of like my arsenal or like my um, like my mechanics or anything I guess the weight room would be one thing right like every college freshman goes there and like I think I put on like 240 pounds on my deadlift and and kind of just raised all those metrics up a lot and I think that that was probably the biggest development I made this year but Moving forward, like it's, I was talking to my tread coach, Austin. He's awesome. Uh, I was talking to him and we both agreed that like, man, like nothing else matters if I'm not throwing harder by the time the fall comes around. So our f goal and focus right now is is really trying to throw hard. And I was talking to him about, you know, adding the splitter and the, and the cutter to the, um, to the slider and slider repertoire. And he was like, dude, like you can go ahead and do that. But it, it's once you start throwing you know, like 92, 93, like it's going to change. Like you, you're going to have to refine those, all those pitches. Like it's, it, everything is going to be different. So you really need to focus on just throwing hard as quick as possible so that you have more time to refine those pitches. I was like, you know what, that makes a ton of sense. So I'm, I'm working on throwing harder right now. <laughs> okay. All right. So one last baseball question here for you. This is looking at your game's entirety. If you were a scout watching your game, what would be that personal scouting report? that you would write up on yourself? Uh, Like, what do you mean? In terms of if I was a scout for another team? If yeah, if you were a scout for another team, if you were, let's say, a major league, an area okay. scout watching you play, what would be that report? Yeah, um, I think every report on me is usually breaking ball heavy. Um, goes to it early, goes to it often, goes to it late, right? So um, those are, I mean, my two best pitches. And I think I think <laughs> the, the metrics have, have shown that a little bit. Um. So I think that'd be the, the biggest scouting report. Um, I I used to be a really heavy fastball, O2 fastball guy, right? Like I it kind of mess with heads, right? And and um and, and whatnot. But I think if I was writing a report on myself, it'd be that I like to play I like to play the game, right? Like I, this is chess. Like whatever you think is coming to you, like I'm trying to throw something different, right? I'm trying to get inside your head. Um and try to figure out what your approach is to, to each pitch and, and what you're trying to take away versus what you're going to give up. Cause I'm going to attack exactly what you're giving up until you 
make the adjustment right and I think that's that's probably the biggest thing I would describe about myself as a pitcher um but that I mean like you said earlier talking about going from starting to relieving that's something that you don't have time to do right it's go in and it's throw your best pitches three times and get these guys out um so that's probably the thing I miss the most about starting is is that that mental game man I, I miss that a lot playing chess with the other team and and what you think their approach is and what they're trying to sit on and so that that's probably what I miss the most but scouting report it's gonna say breaking ball heavy really I mean, that's really all it's gonna say Okay. All right. So I got one last segment here for you. Should be quick. Three, four questions. Like I said, I like to get into the more personal side of things to end off each podcast. So passions beyond the game of baseball. I know you've mentioned uh, fishing there a couple of times, but when you're trying to get your mind away from the game of baseball, cope with stress, what are some of those passions, some of those hobbies that you have? Uh, there is nothing better than 18 holes of golf. Man, and I love to play with my friends. That's one thing Connor and I love to do together. Excuse me. Um, Connor and I love to play golf together. It's always really intense matchups. He he used to be a little better than me because he started playing before I did. But um, I I think I've I think I've got him now. I I really do. Um, but and especially like if I am dealing with a lot of stuff because you know this is a crazy life we live here and there really is no no free time and it's all stress. Right, you're getting stress from school, stress from family, stress from friends, stress from you know the baseball field and all that stuff and playing 18 holes of golf by myself is like the best feeling in the world man it, it really is and I, I love the I love the game too I enjoyed like working on it and watching it and that sort of stuff um another hobby like I said fishing early fishing is kind of the same way I don't do it as much as I play golf but uh that's another thing and I do like to play I, I play Xbox I'm an Xbox guy so that's that's kind of the three things that I'm doing in my free time Okay, so when it comes to the motivation side of things, what is it deep down internally that helps you get out of bed every morning, helps you continuously evolve as a ball player, as a person? What are some of those motivations that you got? Yeah, I, I that's an easy answer for me, man. I have this um, horrible, horrible fear of being average, man. I, I That is the last thing I ever want in this life is to be average. I want to be remembered for something great, be successful, like, and I think that that's really what motivates me to to become the best player I can be. And not even like, not even baseball, right? Like it's, it's everything. I just don't, I, I'm literally really afraid of being average. And so I think that's, that drives me every day. Okay. So let's say you're not average. Damn it. I want to, I want to word this the right way. So let's say you yeah. continue on Go going the day to day, not trying to be average, trying to be the best person you can possibly yeah. be remembered for something perfect picture down perfect picture down the road 20 year damn it perfect picture 20 years down the road you're remembered for something what exactly is that everything's going right for you what does that perfect picture of your life look like in 20 years oh man um well being remembered for something i hope it's remembered for winning right you know whether that is i i really hope it's in the pro ball i hope you know i'm a winner in pro ball and that that'd be obviously ideal right i mean whose dream life would that not be right but uh if it's not it'd be winning in business it'd be winning in golf and and winning in everything i can i think right i mean that's ideal life probably somewhere warmer than indiana i think is where i'd want to live um and have a have a business down south somewhere maybe you know somewhere along the lines florida texas somewhere like that but you know i really have no idea i 
I, I used to be a guy that would try to plan every second of his life out in, in, in the forward, right? And that's like playing out, going to Northwestern, okay, I'm going to get this job done and get this and, and do this, and right? But now I, I kind of realize all the extra stress and pressure that that adds to you. And I really realized that through my first year of college baseball as well. I was like, this is the year I want to have. You know, I want to be the all Big Ten freshman team. I want to be a weekend starter as a freshman. And I think that that all that pressure just kind of welled up inside. And I don't think that that was the right way of doing things. So that's one thing I'm trying to work on now is trying to take everything one day at a time, man. And and yes, you've got to keep goals. You've got to have stuff you're reaching for. But like I said, the the fear of being average, man, if you can just get one percent better every day, what no matter what it's at, man, it's gonna it's gonna pay off. And taking it one day at a time, and that's just the best way to go at it, in my opinion. Okay, so I got two final questions here for you. Moving away from more of the deep down stuff to more just two fun questions to end it off. I'll go ahead and ask it back to back. What is that go-to playlist? So, I mean, here in a couple of days, you're going to have that long flight to Alaska. Uh, yep. What's that go-to playlist, genre, singer, however you want to go about it? And then final question, dream NIL brand. I mean, you being a Division One athlete, got that opportunity yeah. to capitalize on your name, image, and likeness. What would be that dream NIL brand for you and to endorse, collaborate, partner with? Just, you know, what is that brand? Oh, man. Um, two tough questions, I think. I, I, I listen to a lot of music. Like, it's a super wide range. Um, I think you really can't go wrong with Drake, though. Uh, I really think that. And I probably get a lot of hate for that, you know, but uh, Drake, Drake's awesome. Let me actually pull up my phone real quick and I'll let you know what <laughs> I do like. I I, I kind of like listening to different music based off of like what what's going on and what what the feeling is like. I listen to a, a good amount of country. You know, if I'm driving somewhere or playing golf or fishing, that's kind of where I'm listening to country. Um, and then I've got the uh, you know, the more like hard rap and getting me motivated pregame. Um, got that. I've got so I've got a couple couple of Travis Scott songs from Rodeo on there. Um, a little bit of Aerosmith on there, that pregame playlist. Some heavy metal. Um, I got some Metro Boom in Future, Jay-Z. That's that's kind of the pregame playlist. But then, like, if I'm just, like, relaxing, laying around, man, like, I love to listen to, like, ASAP Rocky, Don Tolliver, Bryson Tiller, kind of like the, the smoother, more, like, kind of chilled out, uh, uh, like, rap vibes. That's... That's kind of what I'm into on my own free time, I think. Okay. Um, and then stream NIL brands, man, that's a tough one. I think I think that a Beats NIL deal would be really cool. Um, but if there's one brand, man, that's a good question. Maybe, uh, maybe honestly, Chipotle, man, I eat there so well, much. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's a good go-to. I mean, that, that would be a value, a value play, right? Like I'd probably get, if I was getting like free meals from there or something like that would probably be the biggest one. That would save me the most money. Yeah. I think, I mean, over the past six months, Chipotle has probably become my favorite restaurant. I I love that place. Yeah. I'm, from a, I'm from a small town that all we got is McDonald's and Subway. So oh yeah. when I went down to Bloomington for the first, well, not for the first time, but was hearing all these things about Chipotle. I'm like, what the hell is this? Try it for the first time. Yeah. Woo. Love that stuff. Uh, but no, man, uh, that, that's the final question here on the J care podcast. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know you got a busy yeah. schedule coming up here these next couple of weeks as you continue working on tread, go to the, go to Alaska for summer ball, 
and then, you know, go, potentially being one of those leaders on this uh, 2024 Northwestern team. Uh, best of luck for the rest of your career. And, you know, again, just thanks for coming on the JK podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I, I, I love what you're doing with this podcast, man. I, I really do. Um, and I just can't thank you enough for having me on. I'm really appreciative.